Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Uh, joining me here in New York is Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very excited. We are getting kind of close to spring training, even though it feels like there's still so much more offseason left. Uh, and there's a couple things that I think we can talk about this week that I think are pretty interesting. We put a little bit of a StatCast spin on it. Uh, we're going to get to the Hall of Fame in a second because it's obviously big news. We can try to put a little bit of a StatCast angle on that, even though it's a lot more difficult than you might think. Um, but I think kind of the news this week is that the Mariners never, ever stop making trades. Uh, we've been on the air for like 45 seconds, and there's probably been like three more trades. And so there's a couple of questions, I think, that I have based on the moves that they've made uh, you know, over the last couple of days and even over the entire offseason. Are they good? Are they a contender? Like they have made 25 different trades and what's the outcome of this, right? So that's one question. And then we can also, I think, really focus on some of the outfield defense because that's a big move for them. And obviously here at StatCast HQ, outfield defense is something we're putting a lot of effort into. So uh, your top line opinion on the Seattle Mariners, what are they right now? Uh, the Mariners are good. Okay. They're, 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 they're a contender uh, in that division. Uh, and you said 25 trades, just to clarify, it's actually been 11 trades this offseason. No other team in Major League Baseball has made more than six. Uh, the Padres and Braves have each made six trades. Um, the rest of the AL West has combined for 10 trades, so one fewer than the Mariners, and the Angels have made five of those. So just to give you a little context on that front, I know Mike is prone to hyperbole. Uh, I, I thought I was making it clear that wasn't a real number. It was a lot of trades. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think they're a good team. Uh, they have, they've, um, you know, Richard Justice wrote a good column about this last night uh, for LMB.com, basically how Jerry DePoto has kept his core intact and just kind of, tinkered around the edges and i think they've developed this they're a deeper team um and they have a lot of pieces that fit together pretty well i think there's one more move they should make and we can get to that in a second um but i think this is a, this is a team that is in position to contend with the astros and definitely the rangers um the astros may be the favorite but the astros are have pitching questions, I think the Mariners are right there with them. Yeah, they've completely revamped, uh, revamped that outfield, right? If you look at the outfield right now, it stands uh, left field looks like uh, Gerard Dyson and Ben Gamble. And Ben Gamble came over from the Yankees last year. Center field, Leonis Martin and some Gerard Dyson. And then right field, a combination of Mitch Hanniger and, and Nelson Cruz and maybe Danny Valencia. Uh, Mitch Hanniger is a guy they got from Arizona for the Taiwan Walker deal. He's sort of a, a breakout star amongst a lot of people who I respect they really think he can hit they think the defense is there he's a maybe a center fielder playing right and if that's true then they might have three center fielders in the outfield because Gerard Dyson is obviously a fantastic outfielder um if you've seen us on Twitter we've been kind of tweeting out these speed line charts that show how many catches or missed catches did an outfielder have that were considered easy or hard or highlight etc Gerard Dyson made seven highlight catches last year did not allow a single easy ball to drop in. That's impressive to me. Yeah, no, Dyson is one of my favorite players uh, in baseball. He's just um, going back to the wild card game when he did his little rev the engine thing after he stole third base. <laughs> we did a backflip after catching the final out of a game in the pennant race. Uh, that guy's awesome. Um, he'll be a useful piece for them. Henniger, I'm not sold on. You know, he's very old for a quote-unquote prospect, um, relatively speaking, of course. I think he's already 25, going to be 26 this year. Uh, so I'm skeptical, and that's why I think the Mariners should be sounding Jose Bautista. So here's here's the part where I think Matt and I disagree, which is kind of cool because we're usually on the same page about a lot of this stuff. Uh, I think we're in agreement that this is a, a go-for-it-right-now team, right? Robinson Cano is over 30. Uh, Felix Hernandez is, I think, 31 this year, uh, and, you know— didn't look like the same ace that he was. Nelson Cruz is oh, 37, I think. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle Seeger, underrated star in his prime. This is the time to go for it. We're in agreement on that. Where I'm not so sure about uh, Jose Bautista is where he 
would fit on this team because you've already got Nelson Cruz, who's a righty DH outfielder who can't really play the field. And you've got Danny Valencia, who is a righty first base sort of outfielder who's probably best suited as a DH. Is there not some redundancy by adding Jose Bautista there? I just think he's better than what they have. He's an upgrade. I think that I'd rather have him on my roster than Valencia or Hanniger. He's definitely better than one of the. He will definitely be better than one of the two of them. And in that case, well, the other one becomes expendable either via minor league options or going to the bench, what have you. Bautista is going to give you high OBP. You can play him at first base. You can play him a little bit in the outfield. So he ha- he actually has some versatility. And I think when you're you know, we're seeing the teams now in Major League Baseball that succeed. It's having that kind of depth to be able to move some pieces around. And while he's not versatile in like a Javier Baez, you know, Ben Zobrist sense, he does he, – you can put him in enough places that he's not going to be just like a dead spot on your roster. And the, with the Mariners, I know we'd have to cost them a first-round pick, but this is a team that already has sort of like pushed all their chips in to compete for the next year or two. And I think he's an upgrade on that roster. And I worry that putting too much faith in Mitch Hanniger, a 26-year-old rookie essentially, is – that's – that's risky. What I like about Bautista, uh, and I wouldn't like this if I was a, a fan of the team that's going to sign him, is you can use the StatCast numbers to put some actual data to the eye test. And what I mean by that is, so when I first moved to New York 2007, like the first year or two I was here, I actually, I got really good seats at Yankee Stadium behind the third base dugout. And he was playing third base that day. And I remember watching him and going, wow, this guy is an absolute cannon, like a total rocket. And then we saw that in the outfield for a number of years. He was just destroying guys from right field last year or two it has not really seemed like that and I know he hurt his shoulder in 2015 and when you look at the numbers and I unfortunately I don't have him in front of me he had an enormous drop in arm strength that he was down into the mid 80s last year uh, for context Starling Marte I think was number one on our list at 97 miles an hour mid 80s is pretty low for an outfielder and I think we saw that with Bautista the arm is not what it was the range is not what it was I, I would question him being in the outfield too much Agree with you, but I, I'm and for me it's a part time role for him. You know, I think he's more first base, some outfield, a little bit of DH. It's he he'd be the highest OBP guy on the team, perhaps. Like I, I'd almost hit him lead off on that team. You know where he should be? The New York Mets. <laughs> different <laughs> conversation, different I conversation. know. Um another player that the um Mariners acquired, interesting from a statcast perspective, is Drew Smiley. I've been a big Drew Smiley fan for a couple of years. Yeah, I think last year you wrote kind of the definitive Drew Smiley piece. Sort definitive. Of pre- 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 predicting his, his breakout for the Rays last year. Yeah, that didn't go so well. <laughs> he was he came over in the deal, the David Price deal uh, from, from Detroit a couple years ago. And that deal was very unpopular amongst Rays fans. Uh, and then he had a pretty good first year in, in Tampa, although he was hurt. And that's always been his issue. He always gets hurt. But what I had written entering last year is that he was elite, like Max Scherzer level elite at Plate appearances ended with strikeouts or pop-ups, which are essentially strikeouts. He missed bats. He did it from the left side. Uh, and that's because he's got a very high vertical movement on his fastball. He's got a bit good at spin rate on his fastball. That didn't work last year in any way. And he actually had an ERA of like four and a half. Gave up way too many home runs. The uh, strikeouts were down. Uh, and I think that was kind of a, an, an epidemic among the Rays staff. We're going to talk about Tampa Bay in just a second. But a very bad year for him. So you're saying that you like him in Seattle because, A, I'm assuming the ballpark is much better suited for a fly ball pitcher. And, B, the outfield defense should be fantastic. On the other hand, he did have Kevin Kiermaier behind him last year. So there's that. But if they have the uh, combination we talked about, that's three very good outfielders. Well, And it's also that I think this is part of what DePoto, uh, GM Jerry DePoto did a good job of is that I didn't really like when he traded away Taiwan Walker because I still think that there's – a lot of upside there, and I thought that he kind of bought high, sold low on Walker and bought high on Gene Zagura. But he was able to bring back sort of 
a guy not similar to Walker in terms of repertoire, but similar in that kind of like the kind of guy who's still young and has some upside. So basically, what he got he got rid of one guy who sort of had this you know number two starter potential, but in another smaller in another similar kind of like I wouldn't say minor deal, but mid level deal, he brought in another guy who sort of fits that bill. It's like okay, here's a guy in a rotation who might actually be a breakout and be much better than we think he's going to be. So he felt he was able to bring in Segura, who's probably an upgrade for them, even though I'm not sure what to think of him. It was a very bad baby year last Yeah, but then he sort of filled the quote-unquote void uh, by bringing in Smiley without actually making giving up anything that would necessarily hurt the roster significantly for 2017. Yeah, and the last thing on Seattle, I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago over the holidays about uh, five breakout pitchers. And I remember we had a we had an internal conversation about what actually was a breakout pitcher. I consider James Paxton to have had his breakout, and you and the Twitter poll I put out kind of argued against, and I guess that's because he had like a 7-9 and nine record and an ERA over 4 or whatever. But I really like James Paxton, one of three lefties to hit 100 miles an hour last year, Chapman being one of the other two. And uh, if you look at his last three years, from he had 2014 and 2015 through about 70 innings, had about a 19% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate last year, doubled the innings to 120, increased the strikeout rate up to 23%, and halved the walk rate. That is an incredibly good sign to me. Yeah, he's he's the guy that's going to be on all the like fan, the fantasy list this year of like the yep. you know the uh, I don't know if he's quite a post type sleeper, but he was a big prospect a couple years ago. Gotta so stay healthy. You know, I mean, you look at the you look at the rotation. Felix Hernandez, James Paxton, Iwakuma, Smiley, Gallardo. That Gallardo trade was kind of weird. Um, I'm not a big fan of Gallardo. But he's our number five starter, basically. I like Seth Smith, but he is a platoon player. Uh, I thought the the Orioles did well on that deal. But that's, I mean, Gallardo's your number five starter. You know, Edwin Diaz, Cishek, Repchins. It's a, the team, it's a deep It's a deep team. Yes. And I think that's, we're seeing teams succeed with depth, and the Stars and Scrub models, it's harder and harder to do, to pull off. And they were kind of a Stars and Scrub team two years ago. And DePoto, with like tinkering around the edges, he's kind of kept their stars. Granted, he's counting on some stars in their 30s to continue like they're, a high-level performance. Deeper, deeper and more athletic. So and it's you're, a, you're right. Stars and Scrubs rarely works. The Diamondbacks tried that. didn't work. The White Sox have tried that for a couple of years. Now look where that ended up. Um, let's move all the way across the country to a team that is just stocked of ex-Mariners because these two teams make trades constantly. Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays were involved in the sort of pseudo three-way trade that they made with uh, Atlanta yesterday. So Malik Smith, who's an outfielder, went from Atlanta through Seattle, now ended up in Tampa Bay. Uh, and that's how Drew Smiley ended up in Seattle. I thought that was really interesting because if you look at the Rays last year, they were an incredibly fly ball pitching staff. And what I mean by that is uh, if you look at the percentage of batted balls that stayed in the park, not home runs, that went at least 250 feet with a launch angle of 25 degrees or more. So roughly fly balls to the outfield that weren't home runs. Tampa Bay's percentage of those batted balls, number one. They gave up the most. Uh, if you just look at the raw total, they had 708 such batted balls. That's number three in baseball. Maybe they'll go down a little bit without Drew Smiley, who contributed to that, certainly. But this is a team that likes to get fly balls to the outfield. Kevin Kiermaier is their center fielder. Kevin Kiermaier, arguably the best defensive center fielder in baseball. If not, he's at least in the conversation. This was actually, I thought this was really interesting. This is from a mailbag that our own Rays beat writer, uh, Bill Chastain, wrote. He broke his hand last year and he was out for a little while. When he did, the Rays were 20 and 19. Without him, 14 and 35, including a stretch of 3 and 22. That's a big deal. I mean, that says a lot about how important he is. When you look at these, like de- the, the the defense range chart that Mike was talking about, which you can access yourself on Baseball Savant on the player pages, looking on uh, yeah, for, for outfielder for outfielders. If you go on an outfielder's player page on Baseball Savant, you can see their defense charts. You can see basically a plot of. All the catches they made based on hang time versus distance they had to travel to make it. You also see all the hits they allowed. So you can you can compare 
kind of where when they've allowed easy hits versus yeah and that's you know, that's brand new by the like, way just a, it's like a week old like, as of a couple of days ago so you can make any of these your wine it's very cool but it, point is Kiermaier Kiermaier like his his chart's amazing even though he had limited limited playing time last year and then you go and look when we go look at the for um some of the uh speed leaderboards and t- base time like you know first to second uh sorry home to second you know on a double speed board Kiermaier comes up Kiermaier he can throw the ball 9,500 miles but from a stack perspective he He's not a five-tool player because of the bat, but he's he's pretty close, right? He does a lot of other stuff. Yeah, he's well. he's. I mean, I don't want to say he's. I'm starting to think he's underrated. Is you know, sort of when you look at that stat, I'm starting to think that Kiermaier. Yeah. You know, and when he, people talk about the Rays as kind of a sleeper team as being competitive, I think it might actually be because Kevin Kiermaier may actually be like a six or seven win player, and we don't think of him that way. Uh, quick, quick, quick sidebar here. Uh, as you may know, I just went to MLB Network and filmed the top ten leaderboards at every single position of myself, Bill James, uh, Brian Kenny, and Vince Gennaro. And so we did uh, our ten, our top ten at every single position. Center field was by far the deepest. There was like eighteen guys I wanted to get in the top ten. I put Kevin Kiermaier number three, and everybody else looked at me like I was out of my mind. I don't even think he made everybody's top ten list. And part of the reason is exactly what you just said. I do think he's underrated. The bat's never going to be a superstar, but he's a league average hitter. Yeah. You know, he had double digits home runs and steals last year, and with that glove, that's a star. That's like you said, five, six, seven win player right there. I was higher on him than anybody. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of pushback for that. I already regret leaving Jackie Bradley off my list. That might have been crazy, but it's such a deep position. I do agree with you. He's a total superstar, and now what they've done is they've added actually two outfielders in the last couple of days. They added Malik Smith, uh, and they added Colby Rasmith. So I don't know if Malik Smith can actually hit or not. He's only like 23 years old. He still has a lot to prove, but he played a lot for Atlanta last year, especially when Ender Inciarte was hurt before Malik Smith got hurt himself. He played center field uh, pretty consistently for a couple months. He only missed one easy ball last year, one ball that we classified as easy. And it was really, I looked at it yesterday. It's one of my favorite plays because it just says so much about what we're going to be able to do with this data. If you watch the play, you see him, it's a Justin Turner double. He comes running full speed, makes this really like all-out diving play, gets his hands on it, and just misses it. And you watch the video, and you're thinking, easy? How in the world is that, Paul? Easy? He barely just got there. But when you look at the data, he started 75.8 feet away from the ball. He ran 90.7 feet to get to the ball. And what that says is, that was a really atrocious route. He added 15 extra feet he did not need. And if he hadn't done that, if he had just gone in a straight line, probably makes that ball without even a dive. So I thought that was really cool. And that's going to kind of show you the way that things that maybe look easier hard aren't necessarily true. Yeah, for sure. And then the other uh, outfielder they added, uh, sort of, I, I think was a nice buy low for them. Yeah, was one, Colby, one year, five million? Yeah, yeah. Colby Rasmus, who's you know, sort of basically... Wrote, you know, like alternates between good years and bad years. Well, he just had a bad year, so you know, a really, obviously, a really bad. Year. Obviously, gonna have a good year now, right? Well, I, there's a quick question: Him or Brett Anderson? Who was the worst ever guy who uh, accepted the qualifying offer? Who who provided the least value for their team for 15 million dollars? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it didn't go well, so well for Rasmus last year in Houston, but he's. You know, you you pulled up some some uh, some Statcast data on him, I believe, or a little bit. He missed yeah, one was- easy play, but it was. And that's the thing that we're, we're starting to realize. You know, Mike says it was it was um, looking at my notes that Mike gave me. Uh, <laughs> he missed one easy play, but it was Green Monster related, and that's sort of what we've noticed too. Is like I, I was looking, I was at, I should say I was admiring Kevin Kiermaier's chart, and I saw the he missed one easy play too. I was like, oh, well, let me go look at this, and it was a ball hit by Jose Bautista, like a really like a moonshot in uh, Roger Center that it was really hard to judge, and he sort of mistimed his leap at the wall. So it was like it was certainly a catchable ball, but it wasn't easy by like we, we use these as broad classifications when you watch the play sometimes it's not as uh, yeah. easy as it looks well i guess we should clarify we're cl- we're just considering this based on how distance away from the ball 
and hang time. Like how far did you have to run and how much time did you have to do it? And I think that gets us most of the way there, but there are some, you know, direction matters, how close you are to the wall matters. Those are not baked in yet. It's absolutely something that will be, you know, in a, a version 1.5 or version two soon enough. But for right now, it's still kind of just a, this is a beta thing we have, which is really cool. And uh, it's close enough, I think. But yes, there are some things like that that need to be smoothed out. Um, but this is interesting. I thought he only missed the one easy play, which is great. He doesn't mess up a lot of really, really gimmies. And some of the lower rated outfielders will make a lot of stupid mistakes mistakes but he did not make any true outstanding plays there was nothing in there that was like this is a highlight and so that's kind of a question I think we're gonna have to ask ourselves going forward is what's more important making these really great plays or just not screwing up the easy ones obviously the best outfielders do both but which one of those weighs more to you I'm sort of on the uh I don't think there's anything more demoralizing than botching a an easy play so I am uh I think that botching easy play is uh, making all the easy plays is, is more is more important to me i'll buy that and you know it's a fun tool is if you look at the charts we have now and you can see if a guy missed an easy play and sometimes it's like right on the line okay that's not bad and sometimes he misses an easy play and you can see it's like way up into the color-coded blue easy section and you're like oh that must have been awesome and then you watch the video and it's like well this is it in the sun trips over his own feet crashes into the shortstop uh you can make your own blooper reel almost so anyway i think the rays will be interesting because they're still gonna have a fly ball staff but they should have much better outfield defense right they're, I mean, they're always a team, you know, Jonah Carey, extra 2%, you know, playing around the margins. They have, you know, a really, you know, hardcore analytics team. I don't think they're going to, you know, win more games than the Red Sox, but the Rays being in the wild card race is totally I think feasible. I, I agree with you, and yet I also think they'll be the best last place team in baseball. There's also that, too. They're, by the way, we didn't plan this, but they're actually another place where Jose Bautista Makes, oh, makes absolutely. Sense. No, without question. That is the number one place for me. I can't think of a better place for him to fit. He could play DH there. He could play. I can't even remember who's their first baseman. Is Logan Morrison still or is he a free agent? That was last year. Who even knows? But that's the point is, yes, they have op- opportunities there. And I think that would be a really, really good spot for him. Um, one more topic to hit for the show. Hall of Fame's coming up. Yes. Today's Wednesday the 11th, I think. No, today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. I, listen, I can't keep track of any days. I, we both have small children. Who even knows what days it is? Uh, next Wednesday, will be the announcement of the Hall of Fame voting. Obviously, all ballots were due in on December 31st. Uh, and due to the great Hall of Fame tracker run by Ryan Thibodeau, we've been able to kind of keep track of who is trending in or out. Uh, right now, it seems like Jeff Bagwell and Tim Raines are slam dunks. And Ivan Rodriguez, Vladimir Guerrero, and Trevor Hoffman are all kind of pretty close. You could see all or none of them getting in. Um, Bonds and Clemens are going to do better than ever, but I don't think they're going to get in. So it seems like we're going to have between two and five inductees this year, uh, which is cool, right? It's better than we've had zero in the past. Yes. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. But, you know, Matt came up with a good idea. We can't really go back to these guys' careers and put StatCast numbers to them, right? Where we're starting to do that for current stuff, like in the NLSI Young voting, I know people were looking at, you know, exit velocity for Kyle Hendricks, which is important. Um, but we don't have this data going back for these guys. And it's kind of interesting. What of these guys, like, what was their skills? Would you really love to have StatCast data for? Like, what would change your opinion about them if you knew this or that uh, about them? Like, it would be cool to say this guy was actually the best ever at doing this. Uh, we can't do that, unfortunately. But we came up with a couple of lists of guys we'd really like to see you know, the numbers for specific things. You know, for me, the first one that stood out to me, Ivan Rodriguez, I would really love to know his pop time and arm strength. Now, if you look at the caught stealing numbers 
46% caught stealing. The average during his career was 31%. We also know that a lot of caught stealing has nothing to do with the catcher at all. It's the base runner. It's the pitcher. But for me, growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, the two catchers that really stood out to me in terms of arm strength reputation, Ivan Rodriguez and Benito Santiago. For right? sure. Just killing guys from his knees. I would love to know, did he throw harder than anybody? Did he get the ball out of his glove harder than anybody? We can't know that, but that would be so fascinating for me. For sure. Know. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely – and you know, he uh, – First name in his earliest career, he was catching Nolan Ryan. I can't imagine Nolan Ryan was uh, quick to the plate. So right, exactly <laughs> right. Uh, for kind of related, I want to know what Vlad Guerrero's arm strength was. Now I know later in his career, his knees when he wasn't a good outfielder, but when he first came up with the Expos and then early on with the Angels, he was making these kind of. I was like, Yasiel Puig gets compared to him for these absolute rockets from right field. Well, that's there's there's the, the, he has like. The that one iconic throw, I think it's at it's in Toronto. I think it's Alberto Castillo, where he basically throws him out from like deep in right center field on a like on a fly. I'm curious to know the throw distance. Like if I compare that to that throw that Puig made last year in Colorado, in Colorado yeah. you know that's the kind of thing that would be. You know, be be pretty pretty awesome to be able to make that comparison. Uh, you go to one of the pitchers, and yeah, I'm going out of order on my own notes here. Trevor Hoffman's like main out pitch was his changeup, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. I want to know what was so good about the changeup. Was it a very low spin rate? You know, was there something about the spin rate compared to uh, his fastball or the way he released it? I mean, we can't know that, but I want to know why was his changeup so much better than anybody else's? Yeah, it was pretty remarkable because he was a guy who was throwing, you know, 88 on his fastball and like 78 in his change and he you know got 600 saves is that true was that true his entire career was he was never when really he first when coach? he first broke in he was actually like 95 he was yeah, kind of playing thrower but as. for most of his peak he was like around 90 miles People an hour forget like uh, the last year he had in milwaukee was pretty poor but the first year in milwaukee before that was a very 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 good year and yeah, he was no. like 40 years old at that point it was like a one it was, it was like a one five era uh yeah you know, and i would i'd be really interested to know the yearly exit velocity for sammy sosa just because he has had such an interesting career for a lot of reasons. He came up, didn't really have power for the first couple of years, and then had massive power. We know he had the corked bat thing and everything else that went into the Sammy Sosa experience. I'd really love to know if there actually was a change for any of these reasons from year to year, or if there wasn't. Maybe he actually just kind of hit the ball the same uh, every year, despite all these outside factors. I, I don't know. I would love to know that. That'd be great. And then, you know, the other player you mentioned here, there's a couple of things. You brought up Tim Raines. Yeah, that's why I left him for last, because I knew yeah. you had Tim Raines also. Well, your Tim Raines thing would be? Well, so Tim Raines uh, stole 808 bases. He had 16 seasons where he stole 10 or more, topped out at 90 stolen bases in 1983. I want to know why. All right, so you're on your list is, well, what was his raw speed? Was he faster than Vince Coleman? Is he faster than Ricky Henderson? Maybe. On my list, I want to know, did he have, like, inc- incredible leads? Was he just really good at leading pitcher, uh, reading pitchers and turning 90 feet between the bases to 75 feet so he didn't even have to run as long? Uh, you know, maybe you could eyeball that from the video. I don't know. But it would be so cool to have the data and say, why was he such a good base dealer? For sure. Um, you know, exactly. And, the, you know, that 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 era that he played in was so synonymous with, with base stealing, you know. So I'd be really curious comparing him to, as you said, Coleman and uh, Ricky yeah. Anderson. That actually brings up another idea. I wish we had comparisons of speed for Ricky, Hol- Ricky Coleman. No, God, Ricky Coleman. Vince Coleman on that Bush Stadium turf as compared to, like, a grass field, you know, or, or dirt in fields. I want to know how much impact that actually had on that's his a really, That's a really good question. Um, another thing I was curious about as far as the Hall of Fame ballot, Kurt Schilling and his four-seam fastball spin rate. You know, he threw hard, but he also got – it just seemed like he got a, a lot of swing and misses – up in the zone, and I, he sort of fits the profile of someone 
who had a really high forcing fastball spin rate that's sort of like deceptively yeah. um you know deceptive rising fastball but like i'm not sh- i'm not sure well, he, and he threw hard but he was never sitting at like 99 no you know like so it wasn't just velocity for him um you know his sort of you know the other guy in the bout most similar to to shilling in terms of career stats mike messina famous for that knuckle curve i want to know the spin rate on that knuckle curve and sort of compare it to other you know other curveballs of the air and and know if spin rate was sort of the reason why he was uh he was so dominant um you know, on a very just basic level, I want to know how hard Barry Bonds hit the I ball. I mean, that's it right there, right? He's the best hitter who ever lived. How hard did he crush the ball? But I also, you know, you wonder if he was more of just sort of like we've talked about before in terms of Bryce Harper, where Bryce Harper, when he had that MVP year like in 2015, one of the interesting revelations was he his raw exit velo was, was exceptional, but it wasn't like the best of the best. He was sort of in the second tier, and it was more about just being able to kind of get the perfect launch angle yeah, you know, he was able to barrel up the ball, but not hitting the absolute, absolute lasers where that you know that we see from Carlos Gonzalez and Mike Stanton. Wait, my, Stan. my guess for Bonds is that he wouldn't be a John Carlos Stanton where he's you know topping out at 120 miles all the time. But I think he probably was able to do it at the right angle with more consistency. Like mm-hmm. if we had quote unquote barrels back then, I think he'd have been leading in that because he would have just done it so often every day in and out. Where Stanton is not necessarily that consistent. Yeah, lots of strikeouts, obviously. Yeah, and the last guy I'd be curious about, um, just because of our infatuation with uh, Coors Field, is uh, is Larry Walker. Um, <clears throat> just examining his, you know, any of his key markers, exit velocity, launch angle, at Coors Field, away from Coors Field. Um, I mean, he was another guy, extremely efficient base stealer. So I have to imagine, at least in his prime, have to imagine lead distance was a factor there. Also a great throwing arm Um when he was in his prime in, in many ways, you know, we talk about five tool players. There aren't actually that many five tool players. Cause even Mike Trout, for example, doesn't have a great throwing arm. Whereas like Larry Walker, you know, one of the few legitimate guy hit for average, hit for power, throwing arm, running speed, def- defense, legitimate five tool player. And sort of, you know, I kind of think that he's becoming the new Tim Raines, so to speak, the guy who's being like wildly underrated, on, on Hall of Fame voting. I think it's in part because uh, the team he might be most well-known for is uh, no longer in action. Since you brought up Coors Field, by the way, one other thing I would love to know, pre-humidor and post-humidor. I want to know if there were changes in spin rate and exit velocity and launch angle. I think it was like you know 2002 or whenever they put that in, so we can't even know that, but I would love to know that. How cool would that be? To the StatCast time machine. That's exactly right. So the Hall of Fame voting comes out next Wednesday. Uh, keep an eye out on MLB Network this Sunday night at 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. The second base and third base top 10 right now shows uh, that I participated in will be airing. And uh, that's it for our show this week. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Thanks for listening to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Podcast.